You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 118. I got to hang out with my friend Jess. She's a therapist and runs Our Mama Village over on the gram to dive into tiny humans and anxiety. Y'all, anxiety has never been higher in kiddos than it is today, and we need to talk about it. You know that over on Voices of Your Village, we do not shy away from hard topics. So today we are diving in to how you can respond to your tiny human when they are expressing fear or when they're getting stuck in it. That's when anxiety is. Jess and I talk about the latest research and how you can best support your littles in moments of anxiety. Y'all, as you're tuning into this, if you're like, man, I want some tangible tips and something concrete to be able to take with you, head to emotioncoachingguide.com and snag our free emotion coaching guide for you, emotioncoachingguide.com. If you're tuning in today, will you take a little screenshot on your phone and share it over on the gram, tag our mama village and tag seed.and.so. I'd love to see where you're coming from and come say hi to y'all and support you in this journey. Take a screenshot, share it to social media, tag our mama village and seed.and.so, S-E-W. All right, babes, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today I'm here with Jessica Vanderweer. You might know her as Our Mama Village over on the gram. She's crushing it over there and provides amazing tools and support. If you aren't following her, we will pop it into the blog post and chat about it at the end as well. But check out Our Mama Village on Instagram. She is a therapist and a mama to almost two. She's growing her second babe right now. Thanks for joining me today, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here on your podcast. I've been a longtime listener. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here and chatting with you today. Thanks, babe. I would love for you to share with our village a bit about who you are and kind of what brings you here today. Yeah, for sure. So I'm a psychotherapist and I do a few things. So I run Our Mama Village, which you were just talking about, where we share tips and strategies for parents to help their kids with their emotional development, similar to what you're doing, uh, which is I think why we're so aligned and why I love your page as well. Uh, And I also share support for parents in their own mental health. And in my private practice, I do the same. So I work with parents and I work with kids um, and I absolutely love the work and I'm just really excited to dig into children a little bit more today with you. Yeah, I'm so jazzed that you're here. I think, you know, we know that anxiety's never been higher in kids than it is today. It's also been never been higher in parents than it is today. And yeah. I know like there's a lot of fear in just talking about where we go from here. Perhaps ironically that there's fear about anxiety. Mm-hmm. But I th- I think we've come to a really cool place where folks are sharing more and more about 
feeling anxiety or experiencing anxiety. Uh, mm-hmm. And now there's this like, and now what do we do? Um, I think the old school approach was like, you learn to live with anxiety. You learn to welcome it. You learn to recognize where it's coming from and to ride it out. And, you know, we've learned that that's not what we have to do anymore, that you can live without anxiety and that there are ways to process this fear. And I want to dig into this as it pertains specifically to kiddos. So... Uh, first, I'm curious, like in your private practice, are you seeing a lot of kiddos coming in experiencing anxiety? And if so, like how young are you starting to see it? Yeah, for sure. So in my private practice, I'm definitely seeing kids with anxiety and I'm also working with their parents. So it's usually their parents that are bringing them in. Um, for the past couple of years, I've actually been working at a school. Um, I've been contracting with the school. So I've been seeing kids as young as JK, kindergarten age um, in the school. And then outside of that, I have seen uh, children as well, three and four. Um, That's probably the youngest that I've been seeing them. Um, And it's a lot of work with their parents as well. Yeah, that's wild. Um, I mean, I think it's cool that we're getting kids support early on, right? We Um, I'm going to reference real quick this research out of Yale, Mm -hmm. uh, and then we can dive into what it means and and how to implement it. So for for folks who aren't familiar with it, we've talked a lot about it before in our village, but if you're new here, there was research that came out of Yale last year that dove into kids with anxiety. They found that one in three kids will experience clinically significant anxiety, and that if it's left untreated, they'll carry it into adulthood. Um, they also found that only about 50% of kids were responding to therapy and medication for anxiety. And the overwhelmingly, the most effective form of treatment was teaching parents how to respond, Mm -hmm. um, which makes total sense, right? Like if a parent is with kiddos consistently, if your, um, attachment figure is experiencing anxiety and doesn't know how to support you through it, then naturally we're going to continue to see it. So um, I took this research and was like, wow, that's so empowering because I think it makes treating anxiety so accessible if we can support parents with how to do it. Not everyone has access to therapy or medication, um, but we can all support parents in, in how to navigate this. So um, I, what I found that was interesting and that really aligned with our work was the biggest thing that they noted here was the fear of allowing kids to have fear. So like yes. our anxiety about kids' fear, right? Yeah. And it, it somebody had reached out and, and asked the question of like, what if a kid is having anxiety about being in a different room of the house with mom and dad than mom and dad are? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a perfect example that like our inclination might be like, okay, then we won't ha- make them feel that fear. Um, and yeah. the research showed moving towards if you notice that you're feeling scared in a room by yourself, what can you do to help your body feel calm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Like when I read that research, what was it last year that it came yeah. out? Yeah, I was so excited because, and I think a lot of practitioners, I'm sure you were too, because it's a lot of the work that we're already doing. And it was just confirming that, you know, the work that we're already doing, which is supporting parents is actually very effective and helpful, uh, which I think a lot of us in the field are like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fired up about it. Yeah. So I was really excited when I read that. Um, and I think what is happening in, in my perspective is 
it's really good that we're talking about anxiety so much more and we're talking about mental health and we're so aware of it. But I think what can also happen is parents then become a lot more anxious about their kids being anxious uh, because we just have this higher level of, of like knowledge and awareness of anxiety than we've ever had. And so something that I see a lot in my practice is parents who are going through anxiety themselves, who are noticing things that are sometimes developmentally normal or typical in children, um, but labeling it as anxiety and starting to get kind of concerned and worried about it. Um, and so I think when we can work with the parents to help them say, and say, we don't need to fix all anxious feelings. We just need to help our kids kind of move through them and, and learn how to cope with them. And yeah, exactly. Like, how, okay, how do you calm your body then if you're in a room by yourself and mom and dad can't be there? Um, I think that can be really, really empowering for parents and uh, less stress on them. I totally agree. And I think you hit the nail on the head that like, we're anxious about anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and I, I think for me, one of the things that's really helpful, I, I struggled with anxiety for a while. I share openly here that I'm a sexual assault survivor. And there was a, a lot of anxiety for about a decade. And then I had a therapist, I'd been with a couple different therapists throughout the years. And I had a therapist who was like, you don't have to live with this. And I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> Where were you years ago? And she was like, yeah, I mean, you're experiencing fear and um, we can rewrite these patterns for you and we can give you tools to process the fear. And mm. it was wild because simultaneously we were creating the SEP method and about to research it. In, mm -hmm. in schools across the US where we would be teaching kids how to process these emotions. And I wasn't applying it to myself. I think because for me, so many of the like anxiety triggers and so much about living with anxiety had just become my norm that I wasn't even noticing it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's so common and in the parents I work with too, right? It's like, you don't actually have to live with anxiety. It doesn't have to rule your life and run your mind. Um, and for myself as well, I've also been through anxiety. If I look back at myself as a child, I was definitely a child with anxiety. It, that wasn't something I knew at the time and I thought it was normal. Um, but as I became a counselor, I went through my career. It's like, oh man, that was, actually wasn't normal. I didn't have to live like that. Um, so I think that can be so encouraging and for any parents out there that, you know, you don't have to live with anxiety and your kids don't either. And, um, just that message is just very encouraging, I think. Totally. So you want to break down for folks, like what's the difference between like fear or excitement? Say like, oh, I'm getting ready to present this science project or I'm going mm -hmm. to a new school. I'm going to be starting in a new classroom and the, the fears that can come up around something new or doing something that also might be exciting and you get the butterflies in your tummy. I mean, mm -hmm. before I present on stage at this point, I've been presenting for years, every single time beforehand, I'm like, ooh, I can feel it. <laughs> and, and, and that, for me that's that's not anxiety but I want to outline like what's the difference between fear and excitement and anxiety for sure and I, I think what might be helpful uh, is to kind of go through some normal fears that infants preschoolers and school-age kids have and then to talk about like what's the difference between these normal fears and then what turns it into anxiety that we might be more concerned about um, because I think there's a lot of really normal fears that kids have. And again, when we are anxious about anxiety, we can see those normal fears and be like, oh my goodness, my child has anxiety, especially if we're an anxious parent ourselves. And 
they're just like me, they're anxious about mm -hmm. it. And, and that can sometimes kind of fuel it. Um, so for infants, usually some common fears that they have is separation from a parent, uh, which totally makes sense. They've been with their parent always. So to be separated from them, you might see some fears, infants and toddlers, um, loud noises, um, things like taking a bath sometimes can be scary. It doesn't mean they have anxiety if they're scared of taking a bath um, and large objects or unknown people that can be uh, fearful. Uh, for preschoolers, we often see they develop this lovely imagination. I'm seeing this in my daughter. She has this beautiful imagination, but also can get scared by her own imagination of things. <laughs> so they might start to talk about things that aren't real that they're scared of or ghosts or um, whatever it is that kind of comes up in their mind. Um, they also might start to be more curious about things like, what if someone broke into our house that night? Um, and that's not anxiety. That's a normal childhood fear that they're just trying to explore and, and understand how the world works. Um, and things like thunderstorms often. I hear that a lot from the kids that I work with too. Things like thunderstorms, things that are out of, out of their control can be a little bit scary. Um, and then as we move into school age, we often see things like snakes, insects, bugs, um, a fear of death or dying. That becomes a really real concept and kids start to get a little scared of what that's going to look like, which makes total sense. Um, and sometimes fears of people in authority, police officers, stuff like that. With spring on the horizon, but not quite here yet in Vermont, I've been looking for simple ways to give my body the energy boost it needs and keep up with healthy habits, especially on those tired mornings when I'm just feeling drained. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel more energized and ready to take on the day. It's a morning ritual that gives me peace of mind and then I'm getting comprehensive nutrition that supports my immune system and keeps me going all day. As a parent of two amazing kids, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so that I can continue to show up for the moments that matter. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm jazzed to welcome them as a new sponsor. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com village. That's drinkag1.com village. Check it out. I am loving ready-to-eat meals in this season of life. Things are just really busy over here with a toddler and a newborn, and I don't always want to be focusing on meal planning and ordering groceries. Factors, fresh, never-frozen meals are chef-crafted and dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. There's zero prep and zero mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup involved, and Holy moly, do I need that right now. I also love that I can order as much or as little as I need by choosing my meals every week, and I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime. 
Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, restaurant-quality meals with no cooking required, and there are more than 60 add-ons, like pancakes and smoothies, to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Head to factormeals.com slash village50 and use code village50 to get 50% off. That's code village50 at factormeals.com slash village50 to get 50% off. So those are some normal fears that we see and we don't have to kind of freak out about as parents. We can really validate for our kids. Oh, if you're scared about that, let's explore it. How does that feel in your body? Let's talk about it. And I think about any of those normal fears as like really great opportunities for us as parents and educators and support to explore fears with our kids in a safe place and help them learn right away how to deal with it. Um, when they turn into something more, there's a few things like that I would look at. Um, the spontaneity of the fear. So how quickly does something turn into fear? Um, do they, because oftentimes when kids have a lot of time to think about things, then it becomes something that they're scared of, which I think is exactly the same for us as adults. Like if I know I have a huge presentation three weeks away, the more I have to think about it, the more anxious I'm getting closer to the date. Whereas if I, you know, just know it's tomorrow, then I might not be as nervous. Um, so the spontaneity of fear, if it's an instant reaction and if it's an instant reaction to a lot of different things is this, this intense fear, um, how excessive the fear is. So is your child just saying, I'm scared or I'm nervous and just having this conversation with you? Or does it turn into like this sobbing, um, clinging to you to the point where they can't let you go, panic attacks, like unable to kind of breathe through it. Those would be things that would be more concerning to me. Can they be calmed with your reassurance or with using things like deep breaths and calming their body? Can that calm them down or do they continue to kind of escalate even when we're trying to use those strategies? So that's something else that I'd be thinking about. Um, yeah. Does that, does that Yeah. Help? I love that. I think it's really important to lay out those distinctions. And I had a couple things pop up as you were sharing that I want to go a little deeper on. Sure. Um, I think when we're looking at those, like typically developing fears, um, say I'm going to take separation as one of them. Yeah. I think our inclination can be because they're afraid or upset, we shouldn't separate. Yeah, um, for sure. And I want to assure folks that it's okay for them to feel that fear of separation. I even remember I had this little girl who really struggled with separation. She had, when she was born, she, uh, mm -hmm. she was a twin and they both were in the NICU. So she went from being one of two always together to now in a NICU by herself. And she struggled with separation. She came to us when she was nine months old. And if I even just like stood up or moved as though I might leave in any manner I could stand up to change a diaper and she could be right next to my leg and she would be sobbing um because we formed a bond and an attachment and I became her safe person and when I was going to stand up and potentially leave the room even to like go to the bathroom it wouldn't have been realistic or helpful for her if I never went to the bathroom if yeah. I never ate lunch if I never took care of my needs too and so what I want to let folks know is that when we're talking about these 
developmentally appropriate fears, it's also okay for kids to feel them. The goal isn't to avoid them. I think that's actually key is to let kids feel their fears and to do it in a safe place. Like exactly in the example you said, like you can go to the bathroom and then come back and show her that you come back. And I think if we don't let our kids feel their fears, then fear just holds this bigger power, like this huge power over our kids and over us. Um, but when we can feel it and really move through it, then we can show our kids that it's okay. And yes. I love feeling. Yeah, it doesn't get to control you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it can often come in the way too in, when we talk about self-care. Um, I was just interviewing somebody yesterday who uh, we were talking about intergenerational trauma and she was sharing the story of a mom who had, she had been working with who was struggling to like take a shower or do things because her baby would cry when she was in the shower. And she was like, that's okay. It's okay if your baby is upset while you're in the shower. Um, It's also okay for you to take the shower, right? Like, but it's that fear, I think, of them experiencing a hard feeling. And um, I, so he was chatting with a friend then yesterday about like this instance, and we were just going deeper on it. And we got to this place where I was like, ooh, I wonder how our fear about secure attachment plays into the fear of allowing kids to feel hard things like Mm -hmm. can you speak to that and like forming a secure attachment and allowing kids to feel fear yeah exactly I think I think that's exactly it we have so much knowledge and awareness now which is great but I think sometimes you know all of this knowledge it spins around in the parents that I work with in their heads and so by the time they come to me they're like okay well they feel, feel have this fear let's say of separation well, I don't want to separate from them because I don't want to impact our attachment. So I'm just going to, you know, pull them out of daycare and just keep them home with me instead. And so I think these, all of this awesome information and knowledge that we have can actually sometimes be to our detriment. Like we know too much and then we we get anxiety about it. Um, But what I really think is what we've been talking about is that it's actually key to let our kids experience all emotions And so fear is one of them, anger, and that goes to like meltdowns and stuff like that. Then you've talked about lots on your podcast, but I think it's important to let our kids experience those emotions and to help them ride through a wave of emotion versus trying to protect our kids from feelings. Because, and I think this is what the Yale study is saying, if we always are protecting our kids from feeling feelings, then when they become adults and they no longer have our protection, they're going to feel those feelings and then they're not going to know what to do with them. So I think one of the best gifts we can let our kids have is really to feel their emotions and help them develop ways to kind of cope with them um, when they're young and when they're little and when they have them. And knowing like it, it, that it is okay, I think it really starts again with us getting cozy with ourselves feeling. And- yes. Knowing we can process it. I I love how you noted earlier, like that projection of like seeing yourself in that child, Mm -hmm. but their story doesn't have to be your story and you get to rewrite your story. (laughs) Yeah. So many parents I work with, when we really get to talking, it's like, oh, well, I was anxious for my entire childhood. And so when we really get to talking about it, it's, they're seeing these reflections of themselves and they don't want that for their kids. and, And no parent wants that for their child. And all the parents that come to me, everyone just wants what's best for their kids, right? Yeah. And so I think that there's a lot of fear about fear, like you said. And like you said, if we can get comfy with fear instead, 
And just like all emotions, I always say that to parents, like, okay, let's just get comfortable with this emotion. Let's just sit with it and see what it feels like. And, and when we can do that, I think that can be so powerful for our kids too. Totally. And everything inside of you might be saying like run or fight yeah. or uh, that's what your body's designed to do. And being able to rewrite those narratives is tough. So often people come into my DMs, they shoot us a message saying, I want to do this work. Like, where do I start? I didn't grow up with these tools and I feel like I'm trying to build them for my kids, but I don't have them. Like I'm losing my cool or my partner and I are on different pages with this jazz. Y'all mama's getaway weekend is the ultimate time to dive into this work. We dive into your childhood and patterns and habits that you have developed over the years. We get cozy with showing you how to get to know your subconscious so that you can make conscious choices, so that you aren't just acting based out of old habits and patterns that were ingrained, but instead you can choose how you want to show up in the world, how you want to respond. We support you in navigating parenthood and what this looks like with tiny humans and how to lay a foundation for them where they know it is safe to feel emotions, to express them to you. We want them to have a toolbox for how to cope and process with whatever comes their way in life. We go into what this looks like if you're co-parenting or parenting within a village. What if people are on a different page? What if other people aren't doing this work and you are in this together with them? We dive into all that jazz. And we have guest speakers who come and talk about these sensory systems and so much else. I'm so jazzed that we're opening up some tickets for y'all. We moved the date from April to September 26th and 27th. Mama's Getaway has always sold out. So if you want in on this bad boy, head to mamasgetawayweekend.com to join us in San Diego, California in September to build your toolbox and leave with a concrete, tangible plan for how to do this work and put things into place. Y'all, this work changed my life and I know it'll change yours too. Come join us, mamasgetawayweekend.com to snag your ticket and bonus for the month of April, you can snag your ticket for just 25% down. You can do a payment plan if it's easier than one lump sum for y'all just for the month of April. So head on over mamasgetawayweekend.com and snag your ticket today. We also got a question about information, which I think is a huge part of anxiety. Like how yeah. much information to give kids? I, I, when we look at adults and anxiety, this is like a rabbit hole you can go down. It's like, oh, if I just keep getting more information, I'll feel better. Yeah. We know if you've ever like, I mean, right now with the coronavirus, you could have all the information in the world and still feel anxious, right? Yeah. And that there is a limit to which information has served its purpose. And now it's time for coping. Uh, yeah. And and so I want to speak to that with like giving kids, say they're afraid of a bug or whatever, and we're going to explore this bug. And then at what point are we saying, oh, I can sell your, I can tell that you're still feeling nervous about this, or you're still being scared mm -hmm. about this. How can we help our bodies feel calm mm -hmm. before we move forward? Like at what point are you making that shift? For sure. Yeah, I think that's so huge. Um, 
I always say to my clients, anxiety loves information and anxiety loves like tips and strategies. So <laughs> people, parents, children alike who are anxious, they're like, give me all the things, give me all the information, but it doesn't, it's not always helpful or useful. Um, what I teach parents, this might be a good time to kind of talk about this, is a little acronym called PAUSE. And I use that in terms of kids with anxiety and responding when they're anxious. Um, so there's a few, th before I share that, so there's a few things that I, I typically see parents do. So children says they're scared of something and uh, parents say, don't worry. So mm -hmm. that's, that's one common one. And we know that's not the most helpful. Um, sometimes parents become anxious about their anxiety. So they're like, oh, well, why are you so anxious about that? Like, why are you stressed? Why is this? And so, and then that tells a child that, oh, okay, this emotion isn't safe. Like I'm not safe with feeling this emotion of fear because it makes my, my parent fearful um, as well that I'm feeling this way. Um, so instead, I really encourage parents when their child says they're scared or nervous or has these big reactions to pause. And so P in the acronym pause is pause. And so just, just take a moment before you respond. So anxiety, often when we're around anxious people, we feel our own nervous system kind of speed up and go into hyper, hyper awareness and, and go really quick. So we want to just notice our own reaction, slow down, take some deep breaths and pause. Then we can just acknowledge their feelings. So A is acknowledge and just say, wow, like you're feeling scared about this. What's going on with that? And so just validating, acknowledging their feeling. U is understand. So try and understand why it is that that's scary for them. Sometimes they can give you an answer and sometimes they can't. Um, so sometimes they understand why it's scary and sometimes they don't, but we can try and understand. S, and I think this is the most important one, is safety and soothe. And so when our kids or other adults, anyone is experiencing anxiety, their body goes to a place where this is unsafe, I'm not safe, this emotion is not safe. And that's really where the kind of panic starts. And so we wanna encourage our kids by telling them, you're safe, I'm here, um, you're like, you're safe. Um, and then soothe, which is, okay, how can we calm your body? Which is what you're talking about, right? So can we take some really deep breaths together? And that process of helping your child learn how to cope with anxiety with you um, is really, really key. And then after their body is calm and they can actually access the logical side of their brain, then we can go to evaluate. And that's when the facts would come in. And so what I say to parents and to kids is we want to find the truth. And so I'm mindful about trying to find way, way too much information on the subject because I think that can just be overwhelming. I know even for me, like even with coronavirus, I'm like, I don't need to know that all this information. Like it's just, it's too much. And the more I know, the more anxious I feel about it. So I, you know, I don't need to dig into it for hours on end. A thousand percent. It's not productive. No, it's, it doesn't help. It doesn't change the, the situation. And so I think for our kids too, like our tendency might be to um, give them so much information, but instead I like to just simplify it and say, evaluate, find what's true. Um, and if there is a truth. And then once you find that, you can move back to safety and soothe and just kind of move through it and, and keep moving forward. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a little helpful. acronym I give to parents. I think that's really helpful. Do you have, um, for folks who might be listening on the go or whatever and couldn't jot it down, is there something you could send to us that links to something of yours that would outline that? 
Yeah, I, I think I have a blog post on it, so I can okay. send you the link to the blog post. Yeah, yeah that would be rad. Um, that way, we will include this link in our blog post for this episode, and then if people want to reference it, they can. Uh, I've also seen it pop up on Instagram, so if you're scrolling through the mm -hmm. Our Mama Village Instagram, it'll it'll surface as well. Yeah, you'll find it on my Instagram. Yeah, rad. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you you listen to your podcasts. Awesome. So one thing that kept coming up is um, fear around uh, daytime fear versus nighttime fear. So um, if, and, and I think like, I think there's so much and it's so heavy and convoluted, but um, we, so we provide sleep support at Seed as well with the idea okay. that like, if we aren't getting quality restorative sleep, it's really hard to show up as a regulated human totally. uh, and uh, and providing folks with like what's developmentally appropriate at different ages and stages so that you don't search the internet and think that like your five week old should be sleeping 12 hours. Um, it's not developmentally appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but one of the questions that kept coming up was around sleep and like how do I this idea that like during the day I can be there to support them but if at night they're afraid to be alone in their room so we're co-sleeping, but we don't want to be co-sleeping. Like this isn't working for us, but now we're doing it because they're afraid and it feels easier. Like, I don't know what else to do. Those questions kept coming up from our village, that difference between nighttime and daytime. Totally. Uh, can you speak to that? Yeah, for sure. I'd say if I had to pinpoint something that I see the most in anxiety in kids is this nighttime 
and co-sleeping when parents don't want to be co-sleeping. I'd say like, if I had to pinpoint what I see the most and why parents come to me the most, and I'd say even up to nine, 10, 11 years old is what that's what I'm seeing. Um, so that's not just in toddlerhood, but that goes outside of that as well. Um, what I usually look at is something that I call a fear ladder. And so when you're trying to transition your child back to their own bed, we want to do it in small, realistic kind of increments. And so if the end goal is get your child to sleep in their own bed, that's the top of the, the ladder, what are the steps that we can take to get there? And so usually that's what I work on with families instead of just saying, okay, well, we want kids to experience their fear. So let's just throw them in their own bed and say, <laughs> good luck. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that that's healthy either. So we need to be able to create these realistic little steps for kids. And along the way, so if step one in the fear ladder is, you know, they're going to fall asleep in their own bed. If that's step one, then we also want to be able to give, to give children the tools to be able to do that. And you probably do this in your sleep work with kids too. Um, so, okay, so when you're feeling stressed, what can we do? Can we take some really deep breaths? Um, can we practice that when you're calm? And I'm all about, let's practice things with kids when they're not anxious. The more we practice when they're calm, the more they can access it when they feel anxious. I think it's, that's very, very key. For all of uh, us. For all of us, yeah, <laughs> that's for everybody. Yeah. We can't only practice when we're anxious because it's just not gonna work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, then with kids, we really make a plan. Kids know what to expect. They know what's going to happen. They know what it's going to look like. Um, because a big part of anxiety in kids too is just like the unknown. Um, and then we create these small, realistic little steps that bring us to the end goal, which would be having our kids in their own beds. Um, and so that's something that I work on a lot with parents. The coping strategies often look like uh, practicing this deep breathing with kids. It depends on the age of the child. I see a lot of kids for this actually around nine and 10. Um, but I know your listeners probably also have a lot of littler kids. There's quite a range to be okay. honest. And I think it's true. Like parents will eventually get to a point where they're like, really don't want to be doing this anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, There's like a tolerance window of like, all right, yeah. we can be co-sleeping for this amount of time. And then it, we get a bunch of folks who will reach out and be like, we didn't want to be co-sleeping past one or past two or whatever. And we're mm-hmm. still here. We really don't want this. And we can't figure it out. So I think we end up getting a lot of clients actually on the older end when we're looking at this specifically. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's typically what I see too, is that by the time parents have reached out to me about the sleep, um, it, it's kind of like their last resort. They've tried everything. They're feeling <laughs> really discouraged. Yeah. Um, and so if that's you, I also want to say like, it, there's so much hope. I've worked with so many families and we always get the kids sleeping back in their own beds and it's okay. So uh, (laughs) take a breath because I know you're not going to college with them. No, no, they're not going to be 22 and in your bed. (laughs) Right. We can, we can help those. Yeah, Yeah. totally. I like what you, what you noted here specifically in the, like a kid can't call on some, a tool that they don't already have in their toolbox. Right. So we get this a lot from folks, especially when we're moving from coping mechanisms to strategies, say a parent wants to move away from a pacifier and into coping strategies for processing emotions. We'll get the, like, I think we're just going to like pull the pacifier and we're like, please don't Mm -hmm. support them in building coping strategies before you pull away that calming tool that they have right now. And I think in bedtime, like you noted, they, 
we want to be practicing practicing this stuff when they're calm, which often can be during the day. We're yeah. going to be looking at what do you do when they feel fear during the day? What do they do when they feel fear during the day? Because if they don't have a tool during the day, they don't have something to call on at night. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about this. I have an online course where I talk about parenting little kids with big feelings. And I talk about this in the course. First of all, that's hilarious because we have our, I started a program three and a half years ago called Tiny Humans, Big Emotions. So I love that. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I love it. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Keep going. We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> Um, yeah. So in our course, we talk about teaching a replacement skill and basically saying, you know, any challenging behavior or big emotion that we have for our kids, that's how they know how to cope with it. And so we can't just say, don't cope with it that way, whether that's hitting or biting, like whatever it is, we have to teach them a new way to get that need met. And it's the same for at night. So we can't just say like, oh, don't wake up and come to us at night because you're scared we, you know, oh, that would be the nice if they're just like, oh, okay, no problem. I'm not scared anymore. <laughs> right. I, that's just not been my experience as a therapist that that's happened, but it would be nice. Um, so we have to teach them new ways to cope. And so I think, like you said, the more we can add to that coping toolbox, then we can use those as a replacement for co-sleeping or for biting or for kicking. And I think that's really, really key, really important. Yeah. I love this. So two more things that I want to touch on. I want to be mindful of your time, but when we got specific questions of like, and it would be designed, I'm, I'm thinking of one right now that says, how do I help my child with perfectionism? And um, I, what I, what I want folks to be able to take away is the ability to ask that question of like, what's the fear beneath this? right? Yeah. Like continuously asking, I mean, literally in my own therapy session yesterday with my therapist, <laughs> I was sharing something and she's like, oh, what are you afraid of there? And I was like, gosh, I do this all the time with folks. And like, still it's a practice <laughs> to ask yourself, like, what am I really afraid of here? Yeah. Or what are they really afraid of if they have this like perfectionism? What's that actually a fear of? And how do we address that? Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's exactly it. It's I always think of the iceberg metaphor, right? Perfectionism is at the top. What's underneath? What's underneath the surface? And even with a lot of things regarding anxiety, anxiety might be the presenting symptom, mm -hmm. but what, like, and so something I'm always teaching my audience on our mama village and through my course is how can we be curious about this? And it, it's usually, anxiety is not usually just anxiety. Like what's going on beneath the surface? What else is going on in this child's life? what are they trying to communicate with you when they say I'm scared? Um, I had just a mom, a mom reach out to me the other day and say, um, my child keeps saying that they're scared. And she's like, I don't think they're actually scared, but I think they're trying to say something. And so we talked a lot about, okay, well, let's get curious. Like what's going on behind I'm scared. Is it they're trying to connect with you? And, and when they say I'm scared, they get a big reaction and, mm. and it's a really good way to connect with you or, is there a big change in their life? So I, I love that idea of it's not about perfectionism. I mean, that's the symptom that we're seeing, but what's, what's the fear, what's going on underneath the surface. And I think as parents and educators and caregivers, like if we can really adopt this mindset of curiosity um, versus reaction to um, really any emotion, I think it can be, <laughs> I think it can be really helpful for us. Yeah, I think so too. 
And now you said you've been working with kids in schools. Have you been working in the classroom setting as well or individually? Yeah, so within the past couple years, not so much in the classroom setting, I have worked with teachers where they'll come into my office and we'll just talk about um, the students that I'm seeing as well and how they can support them. Because I really believe in this kind of whole holistic, like let's get all the professionals and parents oh, and everybody on board on the same page. Because it's not just about giving the kids strategies, it's about everyone. Um, but prior to having my daughter, so I guess this would have been maybe five years ago, um, I was working in a school, a lot of school settings and doing a lot more um, work in the classroom. Um, so I have done that, but it's just been a little while. Yeah. Well, we just have a bunch of teachers who tune in. Um, we oh, have a certification great. program for childcare and home daycare. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's a whole bunch of teachers in our village. And um, I'd love to offer up support also to teachers if you're in a classroom and you have 16, 18, 20 plus kids in your classroom mm -hmm. and you're seeing different fears or anxieties popping up, like what are some tools that you can employ when it's not a one-to-one -one or even a in a home setting where you might even have like one to three children, um, but one to 16 or 18 children? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. I think it's so hard. It's so hard for teachers when there's so many kids around. Um, I'd say like if you can kind of connect with the child privately, I think that's good. I think having these conversations in your classroom about fear and just opening up the door to talk about it. Like if I think back to myself as this like anxious girl who didn't realize she was anxious, no one told me about fear. No one educated me on emotions or, and so I think to really help our kids be emotionally intelligent, we can be talking about that in our classrooms. We can be using examples. We can be um, just having this open dialogue about it and even using stories. I think stories are such a powerful tool. Um, and I talk a lot about that on my page as well. It's just like using story, like books that talk about it. And so we're opening the door. So if a child feels as though they need to talk about it or they're having a hard time, they can come to you. You're a safe person because you've done the work in the bigger setting of opening the door for that conversation. Yeah, I think social stories are so powerful. And I think sometimes, especially for educators, more so than I've seen for parents, there's this like, oh, but then I have to like create this book and laminate it and do all. And I'm like, babe, yeah. just tell a story. Like, tell it yeah, through yeah, transition. Yeah. Like, <laughs> tell it at lunch. Tell it just, it can be an audio and you don't have to like actually write it. Oh, down. no. I know. I love that about teachers. It's their right away. Like, oh, how can I get these graphics and laminate? Yeah. <laughs> so true. Some of my best friends are teachers and I told, yeah, but no, like we can just, we can just talk it out loud. And there's a lot of really good stories that are already out there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just a quick Google search, you can see a lot of great books on anxiety um, that don't necessarily say anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like, Right now I'm reading, uh, my daughter's been having some struggles with separation and going to daycare. And so we've been reading her this book, The Invisible String. Oh, so um, good. Which is so good. And it, it doesn't say anxious. Like that word is not in the book at all. But it offers a new perspective and gives her a new way to kind of look at being separated from mom and dad. Uh, so things like that, that are already resources. We don't always have to recreate, <laughs> recreate everything either. Totally. And I even will just like throughout a book, pause, even if it's not talking about like separating or the fear itself, we'll just pause and be like, that person sitting by themselves on the playground. I wonder how they're feeling. If yeah. you were there, 
what could you do to support them? I see a tear going down their face, right? Like bringing kids to just bring awareness into, there's so much that's already happening in the book that might not even be a part of the words, but that you could talk about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why I love stories. Like there's just so, so much we can go from, from just even a simple, simple story. And as a teacher, you can kind of decide where you want to take that, um, which is really cool. And one of, just for folks, I'll give a quick plug to, we had um, Little Feminist Book Club, the owner of it, Britt, was on the podcast a couple of years ago, but she started this, <coughs> excuse me, she started a book club to diversify bookshelves. So if you're a teacher, you're a parent, and you are like, ooh, I would like to have more people of color on my bookshelf, or would like to represent people of different abilities or different family structures, check out Little Feminist Book Club. Um, they do oh, I love that. Things. It's amazing. It's I'm going to check that out. I'm all about that. That's yeah, awesome. It's so good. And they actually are like now um, working to uh, start their own publishing company so that they can really control a little bit more of this and like what is ending up on a bookshelf. Oh, cool. That's awesome. What a great resource. Yeah, she's rad. Awesome. So before we wrap up here, where can folks connect with you, learn more about your work? Um, yeah. Where can they find you? Yeah, for sure. So I feel like Instagram's probably the best place. I'm on there usually every day doing a post on emotions and kids or parents. Um, so I'd love to have you come follow me there at Our Mama Village. And I also have an online course I was talking about. It's called um, How to Parent Little Kids with Big Feelings. And it's all about parenting our little kids with big feelings. And so we talk about all of the different feelings that come up and really... Uh, focus as well on behavior and so different challenging behaviors that we see in kids hitting biting kicking sibling rivalry we, we kind of cover all of those in the course as well and just give parents some really practical tools to help their little ones with their big feelings awesome thank you so much thanks for hanging out with me today yeah this is awesome thanks so much for having me you bet thanks for tuning in to voices of your village Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not 
my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. 